It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Taxes, 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 taxes. I mean, it is almost the end of tax season. If you think about it, we're actually recording this on April 14th, which is a Thursday, because I'm going to be out of the office all day tomorrow on April 15th. We're going to release this actually on the 15th. And then, of course, your tax returns are due on Monday the 18th. So I felt like with taxes being such a part of probably what everything you go on Yahoo Finance, you go see an article on it. All the local news channels have gotten into talking about taxes and extensions and everything else. Well, I wanted to take it Instead of just looking at what's going on with your personal taxes this year, let's talk about just taxes in general and the government. And this kind of hit me. We were not planning. If you'd asked Bo, and I'm about to bring Bo here in a minute into the picture, um, what our show was going to be yesterday, we had a completely different show lined up. We did have a completely different show. Well, I get home, and I'm watching the news, and I hear all these discussions going on, and I'm like, no, 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 on both sides. And I was like... I've got to talk about this. We've got the podium of the Money Guy show. Let's use it. So let me give you, let's go ahead and clear the table. Tell everybody what this is. This is the Money Guy podcast and welcome to, and and thank you for joining us. If you want to go check out our show notes, you can go to money-guy.com. You can also write the show at Brian, B-R-I-A-N at money-guy.com. And I am Brian Preston. By day, I'm actually a wealth manager, a fee-only wealth manager down here on the south side of Atlanta. My credentials, just so you know, hey, does this guy have any weight to be able to talk about the things he's about to talk about? I am a certified public accountant. I'm a certified financial planner and a personal financial specialist. We're also, our firm is a member of NAPFA, which is the fee-only organization. I've got my co-host slash producer here, Mr. Bo Hansen, who's also a certified financial planner. Uh, Here's what we're going to talk about. Here's how I'm, I'm trying to make sure I set this up right, because... Here's where I am with things. I know a lot of you are going to probably write some emails after this podcast, and here's why. I think I'm about to upset all my listeners on the right. I'm going to upset all my listeners on the left and probably get a lot of feedback because I'm going to touch something that I think a lot of people, especially the politicians, are not willing to discuss. So here's what I'm talking about. We, as a country, our president put together a debt analysis panel. They met a f- you know, for, for a year, a, a year or so, and then came out with the recommendations a few months ago about what we're going to do as a country about our tax code, about what's going on with deficit spending, and about how we're going to get rid of just our big national debt problem. And they came out with those recommendations, which basically consisted of Let's cut out itemized deductions. Let's lower everybody's individual tax rate to kind of offset the, that, that, that loss itemized deductions. But we're also going to have to raise some taxes in some areas too. So it was kind of a, a nice bipartisan, and it was a bipartisan group that got together to come up with these recommendations. So that's what happened. Then last week, the Republicans came out with their tax new tax plan, which in Typical, you know, Republican format did not look to raise any taxes, but was going to cut spending. And then yesterday, the president, President Obama, laid out his plan, which was typical 
Democratic talking points, which was, we're not going to touch spending, but we're going to raise taxes. And it frustrates me on both sides, and this is why I know everybody's going to be mad at me, is it frustrates me nobody's being a leader. Everybody wants to talk about, you know, the typical partisanship stuff where they either want to, you know, cut spending but not raise taxes, or the other group wants to keep spending and raise everybody's taxes. And the the answer is not that black and white. It is somewhere in between. And I'm going to, instead of being one of these armchair guys, I've stepped in it because I've come up with the money guy tax plan. And I'm going to go over what that means to you. And I want to start the discussion because this is what hit me. I know I have listeners in Washington area. I even have clients up there in the Washington area. So I said, you know what? We have thousands of people who listen to us every two weeks. Why don't we go ahead and see if we can start the discussion? And here's what the challenge I want to give you. And Bo brought this up before we started the show. He said, make sure, because I went through and laid this out with all of my employees, get their input. And I even brought in some of my clients who are a different mindset than I am on some political issues, just to make sure that I was being as temperate as I thought I was. Is it meaning that I was being kind of right in the middle, trying to take a leadership position instead of just taking partisan talking points that I feel like the other sides are doing. And this is what Bo had had recommended to me. He said, make sure you remind everybody, if you don't like this plan, if I said, I I think I even said, if you hate this plan, if you completely disagree with everything that that Brian says. Yeah, right. Write us an email and give us a point-by-point analysis. Don't just give us the emotional stuff. I hate it when people go into an analytical discussion and only use emotional points. No, give me, give me hard facts or hard thoughts on, on, on what you see the problems with this, as well as if you love it. Give us your thoughts on this. And then if you do love it, tell somebody else about it. Because I'm going to try to do something here that is, is I think, tr- what true leadership is. And that's to, that's to put a thought out there and then be willing to stand up and take the arrows after you do it. So... Let's come up and let's discuss what is the money guy tax adjustment. So here's what we came up with. First, the, the need for this adjustment is because... Yeah, and that's a great point. Has anybody... Hang on, I think I printed it out. Let me see if it's, I can pull it off the printer. Anybody and go out there. You can either... This is definitely out there on Netflix streaming. But if you don't have an, a Netflix streaming account, you can go on YouTube because... I can see their chapters that they have out there on YouTube. They've put it out there because they want to encourage. There is a documentary that's out there called IOUSA Solutions. I I don't know if the solutions, that might be just what they have on the YouTube, but it's called IOUSA, the movie. It's a documentary on our country and our big, big debt issue. If you're interested, we actually did an entire podcast on this back on September 4th of 2009. Yeah, so if you're a premium member... Go out there and check out that September 2009 podcast. I thought I got a lot of feedback after we did that show. A lot of people are floored because it is one of those things that we are going to have to talk about. What do we do with Medicare and Social Security over the long term? And here's the thing that I, I remind people is you for, for years, it was we, were, we didn't have a problem until really 2017. And they were saying the Social Security commit, you know, Administration would come out with their annual report. And they said the year is 2017 that the plan will finally be spending more than it's taking in. Well, then a few years ago, that got moved up to 2016. 
Um, so I think it was like 2007. They moved it up to 2016. They moved it up one year because some of their, their revenue estimates were not what they thought. Well, then guess what happened? 2008. Oof. The financial markets took it on the chin. They had a big bloody nose you know, going on with the financial system. So tax collections went down. Not as many people were working. A lot of people unemployed. Guess what happened? That 2016 year got moved up to the future, the present. I mean, we were, we're, and we still have got a system to where now we're paying out more in Social Security than we're taking in. Medicare, let's think about this from a common sense standpoint. We have more and more Americans that are going to be retired and senior citizens. And so we have this system that is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So that's what this movie focuses on. So we've got, as a country, we've got to start making these decisions now. Because what I'm worried about is every year we wait, just like we thought that the year was 2016 or 2017 for Social Security, we now have the problem now that we're, you know, we're having to pull out of the general budget. Instead of them being able to borrow and use off that Social Security money, they're actually now it's a liability to the country. They're having to use it. Every year we wait, the problem compounds. And it's going to be left to the younger people as well as our children and grandchildren to kind of fix these things. So we really got to start showing some leadership right now, and let's talk about it. So what do I consider good tax reform? Because we hear all these discussions on taxes. What is good tax reform? Tax reform, let's face it, what is going on with our tax system? It has gotten so convoluted and complicated that unless you're a CPA like I am, you're going to have to hire somebody because there are so many loopholes. There are so many different credits. There are so many different things that has really gotten impossible, even with the help of TurboTax and the do-it-yourself stuff. It's hard. I have people call me family friends who are using the TurboTax and other things calling me up. Brian, what about this? How does this work? It's gotten very sophisticated and complicated. I would like to see tax reform should simplify the tax process. It also should take out the manipulation of the, of the, the tax code. And this is something that's probably going to upset some people is that what does it matter how big your house is, you know, on how much you pay in taxes? What does it matter, you know, whether you live in a state that is a a state income tax state or not a state income tax state? What does it matter if you bought a car this year or last year on your your income taxes? These These are very serious questions. So here's the proposal. Let's go ahead and not stall this anymore. Let's go ahead and lay out my key points. I th- under the Money Guy tax plan, if I had a drum roll, believe me, I would start it up. You know, duh, 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 duh. Here it is. Credits remain. I'm perfectly fine with the child tax credits, the earned income credits, all the educational credits. Let's leave them in there. They remain, but credits are no longer refundable. Bo, do you know what I mean when I say they're no longer refundable? I do, but why don't you go ahead and explain it? Here's, here's what let's, I always like to use simple illustrations. Bo, I decided to take you and your lady friend out to dinner with my wife and I. Wonderful. The bill comes back. It's $75. I say, no problem. Go pick up the tab for you guys. Don't worry, Bo. I had a good year last year. You've been a great employee. Let me buy this for you. I'm on board. So I give them a $100 bill. Give the server a $100 bill. The change comes back, $25, because the bill was $75. Instead of bringing me the change, he gives it to you. How does that work? That's exactly what's going on with the tax code currently, is that there are, with, with credits being refundable, it means once your tax bill hits zero, 
instead of that being it, and you just you file your tax return and show, hey, I had this income, but because I had these deductions and these credits, I don't have to pay any taxes. Give me back what I had withheld out of my paycheck, but that's it. That's what should happen. But what actually happens is people get above and beyond what they even had withheld out of their paycheck. Essentially, you get to turn a profit on filing your taxes. Yeah, and that's not what the... We have programs. There are already entitlement programs that should that are in a place to help with that. Now, believe me, I have the counterpoint, too, with what I'm going to talk about, how I'm going to benefit charities, because I think charities do a much better job than, than the federal government does on running those programs. But it stops that. Because I can give you an example. I have a tax return I do for on $35,000 worth of income. They pay in $250, meaning they have $250 withheld out of their taxes. They get back $7,000, close to $7,000 in refunds. So where did that other $6,750 come from? It's called refundable credits. And that didn't used to happen. I don't mind that these people are not paying income taxes. I think that's fine. We definitely need to have a progressive tax system. And when I say progressive tax system, that means that the people who are less for, you know, I hate saying that word less for, the people who make less income, income, who make less income, don't carry much of the weight. But those who make a little bit more do. But let's make it realistic to where this is not a backdoor way to take money out of the system. We have programs that should be doing that. And let's give it to the the private charities to help out with that too. So that's the first thing. Credits remain, but they're no longer refundable. Second, remove all itemized deductions and standard deductions, meaning that deductions are just gone, except for charity. We're going to take charity off of the itemized schedule list, move it to page one of your tax return, and just make an adjustment to income. So it doesn't matter if you make $15,000, $25,000, hundred and fifty thousand dollars you're going to take your charitable deductions off your taxes I like charity I think that's one of the few the things that it's okay if we leave the tax code to have the ability to encourage that type of behavior so we're going to move that to page one making essentially all charitable contributions tax-free and eligible to do good within the community but it also takes out because you've removed all other itemized deductions the ability to manipulate the tax code just off of your lifestyle. So people are going, oh my God, that would raise taxes significantly. If you take away the standard deduction, if you take away the itemized deductions, here's the good news. Here's what I'm offering as the the alternative to that. And this is part of the debt commission and what they recommended. We'll lower everyone's tax rate by at least 4%. So the lowest income for married filing jointly, that's what I use for the illustration purposes, will go from, for the first $16,750 of a person makes, we'll go from 10% is the current tax rate, we'll drop to 6%. For people making under $68,000, they'll go from 15% to 10%. For those making between 68 and 137,300, it'll go from 25% to 19%. For 137,301 to 209,250, it'll go from 28% to 21%. From 209,251 to 373,650, it'll go from 33% currently to 25%. And then for those making over 373,000 a year, it'll go from 35% to 28%. Do you hear that? Everybody got a tax rate reduction. 
And that's what you're going to use to offset those now lost deductions. It takes out the, it makes the tax code a lot simpler because now all you do is add up your income, subtract out your charity, take out your exemptions. I'm going to let you keep your exemptions. Multiply it by the progressive tax scale that I just went over. Can I ask you a question real fast? Sure. So, you know, we've talked about in the past how the, the tax code can be used to incentivize or disincentivize certain behaviors. So one reason that home mortgage interest is deductible is because, uh, you know, that gives people, uh, you know, here in America, we have this dream of home ownership, the American dream sort of thing. What's your response to doing away with that incentivizing tool that the government's able to use? Well, you know, and I will tell you, I used to think that that was a great thing from a social standpoint to encourage certain behaviors. But think about what happened in 2008. Part of the problem is, is that we were encouraging behavior of people who just weren't a good fit. Homeownership isn't for everybody. I mean, it, it, that is obvious by what we've seen with this financial meltdown. So my thought process is, let's get the tax code and the government out of a lot of that stuff. Let's just make it simple and just get the behavior out of it. Because you know what else that takes out? It takes out the power of the politician. That's why I don't know if this stuff will ever happen. Is because now, instead of people using the tax code as a political tool, it's just going to be a simple math calculation. That's important. So that, that's... That's the big thing. So we lowered everybody's rate. Here's the next part of the discussion. And, and I'm going to get on. And I, Bo, we talked about this. The next is we're going to raise, and this is, this is the part I think people are going to dislike. Currently, capital gains and dividends are at 15%. I love that they're really low because I think it encourages and is a stimulative type thing to encourage lower tax rates for capital gains and dividends. But, it causes people to invest. Yeah, but... I don't think it has much of an impact for those who are in, who will, under the new plan will have tax rates that are above 20%. And that's that starts at $137,000 of income per married couple. They'll have a 21% bracket. The ta- dividends and capital gains rate will go from 15% to 20% for those people making over $137,000 a year. For those making under $137,000 a year, their rate, which is close to zero currently, will go up to 10%. I still think those are stimulative rates, meaning they're significantly lower than what their rates are, but it's not going to be what it is right now. Because let's face it, this is the hard decisions, the leadership that I don't think Washington is willing to do, is let's talk about where we are going to raise a little bit more tax revenue, but it's not going to take away the stimulative impact of what we can do with the economy. And, And what that also changes is, Bo, who's the first person they bring out when we start talking about tax reform on capital gains and dividends? Oh, the first person that comes to my mind is Mr. Warren Buffett. And everybody knows I love Warren Buffett. I mean, I, I, I invest in the Berkshire Hathaway. Personally, I like it. I love, I sit there and wait eagerly for his annual report because I think there's pearls of wisdom that can not only be used for investment investments, but also for just life in general. I mean, if you haven't read his current letter that he wrote to share the letter to shareholders for this past year it has a great thing about the way you need to think about debt i mean it has a whole thing how he has a relative who left some cash money in a safety deposit box for a relative and said no matter how much you want to invest this money keep it in there this is your rainy day fund we're not doing that as a country right now that's right but here's the argument warren buffett comes out and he says 
it's not right that I, as a percentage of income, I pay less taxes than my secretary. And he's right, because capital gains and dividends currently are taxed at 15%. I fixed that with this proposal. Because unless he's paying his secretary over $150,000 a year, it doesn't work anymore. Because I've already told you, $137,000 of taxable income. So that's bef- you know after you get your exemption, after your charitable deductions. That's why I said 150 because you're assuming these people right. before they had exemptions. But $137,000 of taxable income and under will now be at 19%. Meanwhile, Mr. Buffett's capital gains and, and dividends tax rate will go up to 20%. So you're going to take that argument off the table because there will be a tax increase for Mr. Warren Buffett on his capital gains and dividend. They're still going to be significantly lower than his ordinary tax rate, which would be at 28%. So he'll have an 8% spread between where dividends and capital gains will be taxed. But I think it takes that argument out. And it still keeps the stimulative nature of having a preferred, better tax rate for investment activity, like getting dividends from a company, as well as from getting capital gains. So those are the four big parts of my discussion. Quick, quick recap for them. Credits remain, but they're no longer refundable. So n- no more getting change. That's number one. Remove all itemized deductions except for charity, which now we're going to get rid of all itemized as well as standard deductions, but then move charity to page one of your tax return, making an adjustment to income. Everybody gets it. Number three, to offset those loss itemized and standard deductions, we're going to lower everyone's tax rates. And I went over those numbers. And then we're going to raise capital gains slightly from where we are right now. Some people go pay 10%. Some people go pay 20%. So we know how this affects Warren Buffett. How is this going to affect us? How is this going to affect other Americans other than Warren Buffett? Well, let me focus on... I did a podcast, but you know when I did that podcast where I went over my 50-something clients that I do taxes on? I did an analysis. This was a number of months ago, and it, and it garnered a lot of questions, support. Well, not support, but questions, I should say. Um, I looked at. I felt like I was a good person to kind of look at some of this stuff because I do do tax returns. Did it, was you find Dece- it was December 13th. December 13th of 2010, I did this podcast. And what I did was I do enough tax returns that – I said, let's look at, it's not scientific, somebody's pointed that out, but let me tell you why I think that that's okay, is that I've only, I've been doing taxes for a number of years, but I only took on these clients since 2002. So these are, these are a lot of these business owners that I'm about to talk, to talk about own very young businesses, meaning that they're less than a decade old, but listen to how many employ, and people they employ. Let me first set the table of this analysis. The clients making the number of clients making less than a hundred thousand dollars. Sorry, the number of clients making less than a hundred thousand dollars was nineteen, with an effective tax rate of nine point six percent. The number of clients that made between a hundred thousand and two hundred and fifty thousand was twenty five, and they paid an, an average effective tax rate of eighteen point four percent. And then I'd had eight clients that made over two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And they, their effective tax rate was 26.2%. So did you notice it's progressive, meaning that tax rates went up, the effective tax rates, 
which when I say effective tax rate, that's taking that's just taking if you looked at their total income and then looked at how much they paid in taxes, what is that as a percentage? It doesn't go through the different marginal rates. It's just taking an average to give you an actual percentage of what they're paying in taxes. So for those under 100,000 it was 9.6, for those under 250 but greater than 100 it was 18.4% and for those over 250,000 it was 26.2%. So that's that last group is who I've heard a lot of people say, let's tax, let's put more tax on those people making over $250,000. Here's the problem I have with that. There really is something to the fact that that is your job creators. Because I went and looked at the people who have income greater than $250,000. How many of them are small business owners? I was shocked at the number. It was five out of eight, which is 63%. The number of employees from small businesses, out of all my clients, I went and figured out how many employees they've hired. It's 136 employees. Guess how many came out of that top six people, that six people who are small business owners? 112 of the 136. And what's not even fair about that analysis is the one who had the 15 employees that actually makes less than $100,000 now, two years ago, made greater than $300,000. So because small... the the cycle of small business ownership is you have huge fluctuations in your income depending upon what's going on in the economy. So it, what's amazing to me is that those making over 250 pretty much would have had all the 136 jobs except for it's this easy to count, four, four, so that's eight, nine. So you could have taken out nine of this 136. So what is that? That's 127 of the 136 were generated by people who typically had income greater than 250. So that's your small business owners. 82% of these people that create jobs are, you know, greater than 250 are your job creators. That's huge. I, you know, that, that's, that's the thing I tell you we have to be very careful about, and I know that it appeals to us in our human nature of envy is that we see these people, and, and I keep hearing the talking points that says, quit raising the ta- quit giving the tax benefits to the billionaires and millionaires. I look at this list of eight people. How many of these are what you'd consider millionaires? Okay, the first one I have owns a metal shop. He's not a what I'd consider a uber millionaire. His company might be worth a million dollars, but he's not, he doesn't have a million dollars liquid. I'm going through these. Next one, nope. Definitely not a millionaire. Doesn't even have a million liquid or in investments. Next one, company's probably worth over a million dollars, but they don't have a million dollars of liquid. Next one, company's worth a million dollars, but not a million dollars liquid. The next one just works for, he's an executive at a company. Next one, employs a lot of people. Company, probably not even worth a million dollars, but he definitely doesn't have, I bet he has less than $100,000 investments. Next one, an executive. He definitely, I think he's having financial problems. And then the last one is a Fortune 500 executive. And, you know, he's working on building financial independence. So I guess there is one on here that would I would consider a millionaire. No billionaires. And remember, these are all the small business owners I mentioned. The five of the eight. Six of the nine, if you want to count the guy who used to make a few hundred thousand, but now he's making less than a hundred grand because of the economy, is these people... I wouldn't even consider them millionaires. And they have companies that are less than 10 years old. 
So you think about the the ta- accountants who have been doing taxes for decades, who have businesses that have been around for generations. They're employing a lot more people than what I've got here. I, we have to be very careful, and that's the thing. I hate, and it, but it's a political thing. I hate it when people use envy as a political tool. We all need to be realistic. The Republicans are screwing it up by not willing to talk about taxes. They're willing to talk about spending, which is good, but they're not willing to talk about the taxes. The Democrats are screwing it up because they want to just keep on rocking and rolling, getting drunk with spending, but they won't talk about cutting, you know, what needs, they want to raise everybody's taxes, but they don't want to cut the spending. They've got to meet in the middle, guys. If we're going to make it as a country, we need leaders. We don't need politicians. We don't need people who are going to punt and say that let's, let's, you know, let's, let's come up with a plan that over the next 12 years we'll cut this much. No. Let's start fixing this now. Quit pushing it off. Because what happens if we have another downturn which accelerates those bad years 10 years into the future? And now we have to make the decision. Because believe it or not, you see what's going on over in Greece, the pigs, Portugal, Portugal, um, I'm totally slaughtered. There's that southern accent messing things up. <laughs> Portugal, um, Ireland, Greece, Spain, the pigs that you, you, you know, the European part of the U- European Union that are having trouble with their debt issues. You see riots going on over there because the austerity cuts they're having to do are just so dramatic that people are physically rioting. The market will make us adjust if we don't do the right things right now and take leadership. Bo, I mean, have I, have I gone over it well enough? Anything else you'd like to add? Yeah. Can we, can we go through that little case study that we did? Talking about each, because um, didn't, didn't we see, because what Brian wanted to do after we looked at this, this potential change is because he does enough tax returns, he said, let's look at how the money guy tax plan for 2010 would have changed a low-income person's tax return, how it would have changed uh, what probably would be considered a middle-class income, and then what would be con- uh, changed for a high income individual. Yeah, let's start with the low income first. And really all it does, I looked at that, and a low income person, I took the the, the, the couple I do that makes about $35,000 of income, they get close to $7,000 in refunds, but they only pay a few hundred dollars in. What this does is they, under the new plan, they would still get their refund for what they paid into the system because they're going to pay zero income taxes because they have child tax credits and other things that are going to wipe out their taxes. But they're not going to get that $6,000 plus of profit from just filing their tax return, that backdoor way of, of, of get sending money out. That's going to stop. So that, that's how they, they're going to z- still pay zero in income taxes. So it helps, the, you know, it, it, it still keeps them of not carrying the load of, of paying income taxes. A person, I'll tell you myself, I went ahead and put this on myself. I took it off my 2009 income and I took it off my 2010 income. 2009, I was still recovering from the downturn of 2008. I told you 2008 was a hard year for me. I ended up lowering my income by about 40%. Remember when I was talking about small business owners and their huge fluctuations depend upon what's going on in the economy? I'm part of that. I own several businesses. I hired people. And, and, you know, and, and meanwhile, the economy tanks. When you, you know, hire people, you try to insulate them. Meanwhile, you're taking it on the chin, but that's that's just the way it works as a small business owner. So in 2009, under the current plan, the new tax code that I just, the tax proposal I just laid out, the money guy tax plan, I would have actually paid $200 less in taxes. So I would have saved $200, but my income was substantially lower. 
this year, when my income is getting back up to where it was pre-2008 market collapse, I actually would pay 2% more in income taxes. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but I'm, I'm that, I'm okay with it. I, I really am. I'd be okay with paying 2% more in taxes if it fixes the future. So our kids and our grandchildren are not having to deal with the mistakes of the previous generation as well as what we're doing right now. So I'd be willing to actually take a pay cut increase for me. Now, I have two what I consider high income um, people, but they don't make a million. They don't make seven figures, but they make you know it's greater than two fifty, probably closer to a half a million dollars a year. One is very charitable, the other one is not. And they have huge differences in what they pay in taxes because the charity is still going to help that person who's very charitable. But they, they're both going to get a benefit of about 3%. Their taxes will be dropped by about 3%. But that's okay because their companies employ close to, let me find them on my list, 50 people. I mean, so they're big employers, two people, and they're, and they're employing over 50 people. So I think it's okay if they get a 3% tax cut from what they're currently paying because hopefully they'll put that to work on either buying more equipment or putting more people to work and helping out with that jobless rate. A uber high income person, uh, a person making seven figures, I have an executive that I work with, he would reduce his taxes by 3%. But this is what I want people to know. He still pays close to a million dollars in taxes. This guy's not getting away with it. I mean, on, on income that is, um, you know, several seven figures, he's still paying close to a million dollars in taxes. And then last, I took a, a couple that was considered upper middle class, meaning that they, they don't quite make 200000 but they make pretty close to it. So, I mean, I still think that that's a comfortable family. They might actually see a slight increase of less than 1%. So that's how it, it really, uh, what it does for me, takes out the manipulation. It takes out the ability to, just because you live in a super big house and you leveraged yourself out, you're not getting to lower your taxes a lot. But if you're a very charitable person, you still get, get rewarded because guess what? That's going to be good. That's going to be good for the system, I think, to have charities be empowered. So that's, um, you know, and just to give you a real quick overview, Money Guy Tax Plan that I want you to share with your friends if you like it. If you dislike it, at least write me back. Credits remain, but no longer refundable. Remove all itemized and standard deductions except charity, which we're going to move to page one. Lower everybody's tax rates. Increase capital gains and dividends tax rates just slightly. Still keep them stimulative, meaning that they're lower than ordinary income tax rates, but increase them so you don't get the Warren Buffett argument that he pays more ta- he pays less taxes as a percentage of his income than his secretary. It takes that completely off the table and I think but still keeps it to where it's still encouraging to get dividends. It's still encouraging to have a bus- be a business owner and get a lower capital gains rate. If you want to do something kind of fun and you are a numbers person and you kind of understand, you know, filing taxes and stuff, since it is April 14th and you and most of you have probably done your 2010 tax return, go pull it, pull out pages 1 and 2 of the 1040. And make these changes. And Schedule A. And Schedule A. Which is your itemized deductions. So on 1040, page 2, just strike off your itemized deductions or standard deduction, whatever you got. Go look at Schedule A on your charitable contributions. Move that over to page 1, adjustments to income. Do the flow of numbers. Listen back to the tax rates that we mentioned. Figure out which tax rate you're going to fall into and calculate your tax and see what the difference would have been for you. But I'd also, if you do or if you're one of those people that your taxes would go up slightly... 
Think about, though, that this would actually be working towards fixing the problem. How cool would it be if we could quit talking about deficits? How cool would it be if we're not talking about how in debt the country is with the $14 trillion, how much that foreign governments own of us? There's also, just like I tell people, it's not always a financial decision on whether or not you should pay off your mortgage when you're close to retirement. There's a psychological benefit to not owing anybody any money. That's why I tell all people close to retirement, get debt-free completely. It's the same thing with this tax discussion. How great would it be if we were on firmer financial footing? I think it would be a tremendous thing. I really do. Um, Also, I I couldn't believe that it's been almost two years since we did the podcast on IOUSA, um, the documentary. Go check it out on Netflix. Go check it out on YouTube. They have different chapters. Part one that's on YouTube is called Fiscal Overview, the one with the F. Part two is Budget Reform. Part three is Defense and Other Spending Reform. Part four is Healthcare Reform. Part five is Tax Reform. And remember, a lot of this is, is just right on the money on the timing of us as a country having these points. Um, we got a few minutes. Let me, I got an email from one of our listeners. You, you haven't read the email? I printed the article. You haven't uh, read the email? Yeah, read, read the email real quick, but leave off last so, names. This says, so this says, hi, Brian. I enjoy your podcast very much and have since you started it. Thank you for your contribution. I came across this interesting article yesterday. I know you are widely read, but if you missed this one, you will find it interesting. Um, he gives the link to the article, which Brian will share. He says, the link to the full report can be found at the bottom of the brief article. He said, um, I'm a self-investor myself, so I appreciate the article, but I can't help thinking that this method of management holds the seeds of destruction for many, especially those that rely upon their social networks to determine their retirement saving strategy. Your thoughts would be of interest on the podcast. Keep up the good work. My regards to Bo. Best regards. Okay, so here's, and it was a consumerreports.org, just a quick little um, personal investment, you know, Thing that they did. It's called Young and Wealthy Leave Financial Advisors for Social Network. And it says wealthy investors under the age of 50 say they no longer trust the advice of financial advisors. More than half would rather use social networking as a tool to find investment advice, according to a survey by Cisco. The Cisco Internet Business Solutions Group surveyed more than 1,000 investors with at least a half a million dollars in assets. Many younger investors reported abandoning advisors for online and high-tech investment tools. 40% of young investors, investors said they believe they can get better results on their own, and 50% said financial advisors charge too much for their services. Two-thirds also said they were interested in joining online investor communities and have fewer qualms, qualms, whatever you want to say it, if you don't have the southern accent, than their older counterparts about frequently switching financial advisors. Young investors make up about 30% of the wealthy in the United States, and that amount will only grow as wealth is transferred from older generations. Regardless of age, however, wealth, wealthy investors are more skeptical about the efficiency of the financial markets than in years past, and just like the rest of us, remain concerned about the f- financial future. 50% of wealthy investors who have not retired expect that they will need to delay retirement. Here's my take on it. I think there is something to the newer generation looking for alternative sources. I mean, we've been burned by the big boys. I mean, it's, it was just, I think the timing's perfect to talk about this. There's a brand new report that came out just yesterday that is scathing against Goldman Sachs because the, the whole market, mortgage meltdown, they were giving different advice than what they thought was going on to their individual clients and than what they were issuing internally to themselves. That's bad. So there is a lot of skeptical thought among investors. 
And I think they are going out there and using social. Hey, hello, that's what we are. We're the podcast. We're the Money Guy Show that started doing this in 2006 to help those I felt like I was that were slipping through the cracks um, that didn't meet our minimums as a firm. Little did I know it was going to be the most genius thing I ever came up with because we have now picked up clients across the country. It's been incredible, and I really thank you guys. So I don't think that I don't completely. I do agree that that people and young, wealthy, smart people are using social media more, meaning they're listening to podcasts. They're going out there and doing more internal research. But I think that they're also, it's helping them when they find something like us, where they, they listen to what we think. They hear what we, you know, our thoughts on different things, whether it's politics, money, taxes, investment advice. And they say, well, gosh, that guy thinks a lot like I do. I think I, he would be a good fit for me. It's better than that old trust me mentality that I think that a lot of financial advisors were able to get by in the past. So I think that if you're an old school financial advisor who's not incorporating these type of social media things into your practice, yes, you might have some issues in the long term with the younger, wealthy investors because they do not trust as well. And that's fine. That's that's reasonable. I think I I don't trust anybody myself unless they prove themselves to me. So I I definitely think that fits into that mode, but I don't think it's easy to just write off the professional financial advisors. I think that people like myself who got, I call it my, the Mr. Magoo moment that I stumbled into something brilliant are going to be rewarded for trying to come up with alternative ways to provide advice, to truly try to help the financial community, and then they're going to receive a reward for doing it. Um, I don't know if I'd feel comfortable going into a chat room and and just putting out there for God and everybody else to know how much money I make as a year, especially if you're a high-income person who might have over half a million dollars. Do you want to just put out there? Because remember, money is still a taboo subject. I tell people when I first talk to them, and everybody's going to call for a future prospect reference is going to know this when I say it to them now, is that I tell them it's kind of like a doctor's exam. I'm going to start asking uncomfortable questions very quickly because I need to know where you are financially because money is a taboo subject. So I, I, I don't see that people are going to be, you know, tweeting and everything else um, out there on where they are personally. I would, I would not feel comfortable putting out my income and my savings goals to the whole world to see. But I do think using social media, podcasts and other things has created a whole new marketplace. Bo, do any thoughts for you? No, I agree, agree fully. Um, guys, thanks so much for listening today. I hope I haven't offended anybody. I really, I'll tell you what I'm looking to do. I want to get people thinking. I'm so tired of the politics. I mean, I, I think I've told you guys, I used to think the world was a lot, a lot more black and white before I became an elected person myself with the, the school board here in, in the state of Georgia. And then I've realized that there's not really black and white issues. There's a lot of gray out there. But what I want to see is more leadership. I don't think my plan is perfect. No plan is going to be perfect, but I'd want to start the discussion. So give it a little thought. Listen to it. Do some math on your own like Bo had recommended, and let's see what we can come up with because there's an answer out there that I think can put this economy on firmer footing, can get more people employed, but also take care of the huge problems, the rain cloud of despair that's going to come our way if we don't start tackling these things with true leadership. Thanks so much for listening. Write the show, Brian, B-R-I-A-N at money-guy.com. You can also go check out the website, money-guy.com. I'll talk to you in about two weeks. I'm your host, Brian Preston. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management. 
Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.